I've been part of my daughter's life over the past four years as she's raised Joshua from an infant to four and a half years old. And the number of hours it took just to get him without dying for four and a half years is staggering to me. And so I, I want to kind of step gently into this moment because I know there's emotions running around in all of us because we all have moms. And for instance, in me, my mother had three kids in the span of three and a half years. And my father was an abusive alcoholic. And I saw that video, and there's a lot of hugs and a lot of smiles in that video. And I have to be honest with you, I don't remember my mother ever smiling. And I'm sure I was hugged because, I mean, you have to pick up a baby. But from the time I can remember, which is probably five years old, I don't remember my mom hugging me. Don't hear me bashing my mom. She gave me everything she had. And I know that's what all you moms did. And I know there's some of you in here who have lost children through miscarriage or, or later in the, in, in the journey. And I can't even imagine what you're going through. And, and there's mothers whose, whose kids have taken a direction in life that breaks your heart. And I ache for that. And then there's women in here who've wanted to have children and for whatever reason can't. And so for all those reasons, there, there's, just, there's just a lot going on in this room. And, and, and he, I just want to step out for a second and, and help you put that in, a, in some, some sort of context, okay? That doesn't mean we're defective. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with us because the truth of the matter is this book says that the God of the universe himself experiences emotions. That's right, God. It's hard for us to grasp that reality. But this book says that there's times when he's full of joy or, or anger or hurt or sorrow. And since we are created in the image of God, it should not be unexpected that we feel emotion. The only real question is, what are we going to do with it? And I want to suggest to you today that the best thing we can do with that emotion is commit ourselves to listening to his word and living well based on the principles from the word of God. And that's what I want and I hope for us today. So let's pray. Father, I I thank you for this time and and I am emotional like a lot of people here. But I, I never forget your words that unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in vain. And Father, please don't let this wonderful music and, and this wonderful setting and, and the word from your book go out in vain, Father. Please be here to build faith in people, to build courage, to build hope, to build love, to, to build strength, to do a hundred other things that I can't even imagine. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we go into this message, which is going to be about applying the principles of Scripture to help moms be better moms, I can almost see, you know, the teenagers and maybe the guys just sort of mentally checking out, right? Teenagers are going to pretend like they're going to open their Bible app. They're really going to be going on, you know, Snapgram or Instachat or whatever you guys are doing these days, you know. 
listen, just seriously, listen to me for just a second. This message is for all of you also. Let me explain why. See, God has some very fascinating and interesting things to say about what a faith community really is. If you'll open your Bible apps or whatever you have to Galatians 6.10, if you don't have your Bible with you, I think we probably have that on the screen here for a second. And this is what God says in his word. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We're a family here. And Ephesians 2.19 says something similar. It says, do good to those who are in the household of God. So God is, is casting this principle that we are all doing life together much like a family. There's a popular saying right now that I don't give much credence to. It's something like, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. The reason I don't put much stock in that is because that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't take a village to raise a child. But God's best plan for raising kids is in a biological family doing life in a faith community that becomes a more extended family. That's God's best plan for raising children. And I've seen that dynamic in my time here at Rock Hills. I've seen some of our teenagers and young folks pour into my grandson, Joshua. I've done my best to connect with and get to know some of the younger folks in our church. And that's part of what God expects from a group and a family of believers. And it has a powerful impact. So, and then we have adults like Miss Megan DeYoung and, and the Jenses and the Gibsons who spend so much time with our teenagers and, and junior high folks. It's just a wonderful thing to see, and that is what God is calling us to do. So these principles may be outwardly most directed at mothers, but these principles apply to all of us if we want to have a really great faith community that raises our kids the way the Lord wants us to raise them. So if you would, please pay attention today because I think you have something to contribute to my grandson Joshua and to many other young folks here in this, in this church, in this faith community that we call Rock Hills. And so my text for today, that where I think we, we want to go and, and talk about is a text out of Deuteronomy, believe it or not, Deuteronomy 6, and it's called the Shema. That's just a Hebrew word that means to hear and obey. And if you asked any Jew, any Jewish person, what is the most holy scripture in the Bible, they would say immediately, the Shema. It begins, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. But what it really is, is is a discipleship plan for the raising of children. And, And you may remember at one point, a young man came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? And what did Jesus quote? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you know what he was quoting? The Shema, Deuteronomy 6. And that's where we're going today. And and what you will see is that there's a discipleship plan. There's a curriculum that we can all be a part of as we raise our children in the faith. And so let's take a look at that. And we'll read it. And I think we have that scripture for us beginning at Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands... Decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live 
by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey. So that's Shema. Hear, obey. Shema means hear, obey. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And that's what Jesus quoted when he was asked the greatest commandment. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, that's a lot to digest, and so I want to, have, I want to give you one takeaway today, and that is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and modeling will happen. Love God with all your heart, and modeling will happen. That's what I want you to remember today. And, and here's, here's really what I'm getting at. This summarizes the basic principle of the Shema. It's interesting to me that God did not begin the Shema by saying, here's what you do. You memorize the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, were just given a few verses earlier. God gave the Ten Commandments through Moses. He did not say, memorize the Ten Commandments and make your kids memorize the Ten Commandments and everything's going to be great. He didn't say that. He didn't say, think the right way, understand the correct principles, and you're going to have a great life. That isn't where God goes, is it? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the first part. It's it's like these concentric circles, okay? The, The inner circle is love God with all your heart. And then it says, then you will bind these, this law on your foreheads and on your sleeves, and then you'll put it on your doorposts. And the interesting thing is this. Observant Jews at the time of Jesus would actually wear phylacteries. They'd wear the Shema on their forehead. They would take this verse literally. They would put the Shema on their doorpost, on the, on the doorframe of their house. I've gone up to, to Jewish friends of mine, and I'll see a little box in there, and what they are doing is they're, they have a tiny copy of the Shema literally attached to their doorframe. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there, there's a bigger, uh, there's, there's something bigger that God is casting for these people, and he's simply saying this. It's concentric circles. So if you love God with all your heart, you will begin to see through the lens. Your forehead will see through the lens of the Shema, and, and you'll begin to do the commandments of God. And then when that happens, the, the love of God and, and the principles of God will radiate out from your door house, from your door, from your house. And so that is what God intends in this discipleship plan. Now, the question becomes, why does he begin with love your Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart? And what I want to suggest to you is God knows how we're designed. We are designed not ultimately as reasoning creatures, we are loving creatures. We go where we love not where we reason and where our rational abilities tell us to go. Very simple example. You walk into a restaurant, and you see it right there, the superfoods salad. It's got all the kale and the arugula and the amino acids and all these nuts and cranberries. And you go, yep, that's what I need, the superfood salad. 
And then you see the bacon double cheeseburger with a large order of fries and the double chocolate shake. And now, what do you have? You have the reason versus the heart. Which wins? I mean, we know. We don't ultimately do what our reason tells us to do. Most of the time, we are loving creatures. We go toward what we love. And let me say a sobering note here for a minute. Because we all have sins in our life. Sins we wrestle with that ultimately are cheeseburgers. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe you can't control spending. Maybe, maybe you get your heart just loves to spend. You get such satisfaction out of spending that you overspend your credit cards. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's you love gossip. You, you love to tell about other people. You love to cut other people down behind their back. And that's somehow satisfying you. It makes you feel good. And what I want to suggest to you is the only way to have victory over those sins. What this is saying, what God is saying is something has to change in your heart. You can't memorize another rule and expect that those things are going to go away. And that's what happened on my journey, as I shared many times. My life was full of sin from living for the world for many, many years. And ultimately, what did not give me victory was memorizing rules. As I fell more in love with God, as I began to see the wonder and the beauty of my Father in heaven, all those other things just were not appealing to my heart anymore. And so now the question becomes, how do we stir our affections? How do we grow and love the Lord our God with all our heart? And and I want to make three suggestions. First, worship music. There's something very fundamental, something very visceral and internal about music, isn't there? And what we find out from the scripture, by the way, is that Satan tried to lead a rebellion in heaven and was cast down to earth. But Satan was apparently a worship leader. He was certainly involved in some sort of music or worship up in heaven. So worship and music has has existed apparently as part of God's character from the beginning. And that shouldn't surprise us. God is a God of beauty. And we've all been stirred by the beauty of music and who could not be stirred by Bon Jovi and, and Journey and all the great music of, of the last several generations? Um, but seriously, we are all stirred by music. That's part of who we are. And what I want to ask you to do is start coming earlier. You see, I think most of us shoot to be here at 1031 and stuff gets in the way and we ultimately get here 15 minutes late. You've heard our worship band. They are truly amazing. When I, when I hear them play, my emotions are stirred, and I, and I get ushered into the throne room of God, and I see his glory and his beauty. So why not shoot to get here at like 10.10? That's a good time, right? 10.10. Worst case scenario, you get here a little early, you have a great cup of coffee and some good snacks. I mean, what's wrong with that? The other thing, the second thing I want to suggest is that we see the glory of God. We see the wonder of God and our emotions are stirred by the people of God. So I come, I come to church and I see some of the guys that have been on the trip to Honduras with. There's 40 or 50 guys here now. And, and even if we don't talk about Honduras, it brings back memories of the incredible miracles we saw in Honduras on our water projects. And my emotions and love for God are stirred. There's a woman here who, who particularly stirs my emotions and love for God, besides my wife, Jan, and that is Kim Lyons. I don't know if you know Kim. What an amazing 
part of our faith community for a lot of years. And Kim has been in a courageous battle with Parkinson's disease. And if you know anything about that horrible disease, it's a degenerative disease that affects your muscles and your stability. And if there's anybody who would have the right and the reason to sit at home and gripe and be bitter and angry at God, it would be Kim. Would there be anybody who would have a reason not to come to set up because, you know, it's much harder for her than the average person to do this kind of work? And I'm telling you, she walks in on a Sunday with a face, with a smile that lights up the room and outworks all of us. And you cannot be around Kim Lines and be stirred in your emotions by the wonder of God because all she does is credit God. As we were texting this week, and and I shared with her I was going to talk about her today, she said, yeah, but everybody needs to know that God is the most wonderful, you know, God that you can ever imagine. He sustained me. I love him with all my heart. And that's the kind of thing that stirs my emotions. So the people of God are the second thing. And third, the word of God. See, the word of God is where he reveals his character. And I think the character that, that is revealed stirs me every single day when I'm in his word. And, and the, the part of God's word, the part of his, his character that I think is most stirring is revealed in what we call the gospel. And I talk about the gospel all the time because I can't hear it enough. When I talk about the gospel, something wells up inside me about the amazing, amazing character of our God. You see, I'm a lawyer. I love justice. When we rebelled against God, we knew that that rebellion, the punishment was death. He told Adam and Eve. He told, everybody is, is aware of, of the consequences of rebellion. And yet we all do it. And God is such a just God, he can't just let us off. And I love that about God's character. But I love that he loved me so much that he wanted to come and pay the penalty for my rebellion. And I I can't even grasp the depth of that love and the depth of that self-sacrifice. And so as I reflect on the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came and died for us and took our punishment upon him, rose from the dead, defeating death, and reconnected us with God if we put our faith in Jesus, I can't help but be stirred. And that's that way all throughout God's word. And you don't have to take my word for it about how God's word is powerful. God speaks in Isaiah 55. And he's speaking to us, and he says this, that if my word is proclaimed, if my word goes forth out of my mouth, it will not return void. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And that's one reason of many that you will always hear the word of God proclaimed here at Rock Hills, because that's what you need, not some self-help message or, or somebody getting up here and giving, them, giving you their bright ideas for what you ought to know. And so the word of God is another way that we have our affection stirred. So our our takeaway today is love God with all your heart and modeling will happen. So that's the second half. So what is modeling? You you saw it in the scripture. It says, you know, talk to your kids as as you go about your business, when you get up, when you go to bed, while you're on your way. That's modeling. And what God is really talking about is this plan for discipleship, this plan for curriculum is so pervasive 
that all of you are modeling something. You are discipling your kids. The only question is, what are you discipling them in? I remember reading a study probably 25 years ago now about smokers. And people who smoke told their kids an average, I think, like 10 times a week, don't ever smoke. People who didn't smoke only told their kids once or twice a year because it doesn't cross their mind. People who didn't smoke rarely told their kid. Which set of kids do you think smoked more often? The smokers' kids, by a landslide, it wasn't even close. And it just shows the demonstration of what is being modeled, what is being seen by the kids in a home. And what, That's very sobering. So a word to you men, if you're being harsh, if you're failing to encourage your wife, if you're being overbearing and refusing to lay down your life serving her as Ephesians instructs us, you are discipling your son to be a self-absorbed, narcissistic coward. That's what's going on. And, and wives, I, you know, let's just talk about nagging. A couple things about nagging, okay? <laughs> I, I've, I've never, you know, I've, I hang out with a lot of guys, a lot of Bible studies. I've never had a guy come up to me and said, you know what? Last night for the 6,000th time, my wife said such and such, and now I'm all in. I'm going for it. It just never happens. It doesn't work. And somehow, God thinks, I guess, this is a particularly negative thing, nagging, because Proverbs 21 literally says this. It says, it's better to go out in the desert and die than for a man to live with a nagging wife. So, so here's the image, folks. Um, yeah, why don't you just go out into the desert? Okay, Lord. No, no, don't bother to bring the water. What do you mean, Lord? I'll die. He goes, yeah, you'll die. It'll be slow. It'll be awful but it's better than this. I mean, really, that's, that's the image there. And so, you know, don't nag. I think there's a, there's a better way to model. And, and I love the, what, what I see my beautiful wife, Jan, model for our grandson, Joshua. So Jan is, is part of our, our team for spiritual health. She's a spiritual director. She loves to pray. And, and a while back, she was organizing a bunch of the leaders in the church to pray for Pastor Dave and, and pray for our leadership team. And to remind herself, she would set her phone, and it has a, an, a particular chime for twice a day when she was going to pray. And after a while, Joshua began to, my four-year-old grandson, began to know that chime. And he'd say, oh, Tito, it's time to pray for Pastor Dave and the leaders of Rock Hills. And he would pray. If you want to know something that will melt your heart, just listen to your four-year-old grandson pray for Pastor Dave and the people of Rock Hills. And that's what modeling can do, folks. It's truly an amazing thing. Now, one thing I, I want to do for you ladies is give you an example of motherhood to take with you, um, something that you can follow, something that will be very practical for you. So I want to tell you about Susanna Wesleyan. Susanna Wesleyan was born in England. She lived mainly in the 1700s. She had two famous sons, very famous, John Wesleyan, or excuse me, Wesley, John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church. 
and was an amazing man of God, preached to literally probably a million people in England. She had a son, Charles Wesley, who came to the United States, started churches, and and was this gifted musician and and wrote over 6,000 hymns. Many of those you would know today, even though it's 300 years later. One of them is Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the Christmas carol. Well, she didn't just have Charles and John, who were just two phenomenal young men. She had 17 kids. Her commitment was she taught every one of her kids to read the Bible before the age of five. She taught every one of her kids Greek and Latin. She would pray two hours a day for her children. What she would do in the chaos of 17 kids, she would have a chair. When she sat in the chair and she would put her apron over her head, that was her signal to her kids to leave her alone because she was going to be praying for the next hour for them. She did that twice a day. Her family, apparently, uh, some historians say that the Wesley family with their 17 kids had a bigger positive impact on the country of England than any other family in England's history. She had 16 rules to live by. And apparently, she very rarely, if ever, violated these rules to raise her, that she set down for raising her kids. And I'll just read a couple of them. I will subdue, subdue all self-will in my children to save my children's soul. I will teach my children to read the Bible before they are five years old. I will teach a, my child to pray as soon as he can speak. I will require them to be still during all worship times. I will give them nothing they cry for, but only what they ask for politely. I will never allow a sinful act to go unpunished. However, to prevent lying, I will punish no act which is confessed and repented of. Now, I could go on and on, but she had 16 of these and raised one of the most amazing families in the history of the world. And so moms, what I want you to do is go out this week and be Susanna Wesley. (laughs) That's crazy. You can't do it. I hope you realize I was joking, right? That's insane. Nobody can do this. But I know how you mothers operate. Every time you see some Facebook post of some mother who's just cooked this dinner for her family, you're like, oh my God, I don't feed my kids well enough. Every time you read one of those articles about some junior high kid who built a nuclear reactor in their basement, you're like, oh my God, I suck as a mother. I can't believe I just said that here. Uh, I'm sorry. I stink as a mother. Um, So on and on, I know how you think. And one of the things I want to unmask here is that you can't be Susanna Wesley. You can't. You know why? You're not Susanna Wesley. But you are you. And that is awesome. And listen, that is not some feel-good garbage I'm trying to push. You are awesome. And you know why I know that? Because of Psalm 139. And it says, each and every one of you moms were fearfully and wonderfully made. God created your inmost being. He did everything that he wanted in creating you. Now, I want to talk about two other mothers, a little more realistic. Mine, which I already mentioned. I know my mother gave me everything she had. 
And I'm grateful for that. Even though I feel, in what you just heard, I think there's a lot lacking there from a lot of perspectives. There's another mom I want to mention, and that's Jesse Dominguez's mom. See, Jesse's mom didn't have 17 kids. She had one, Jesse. And Jesse would say, she loved me so well. She prayed for me. She poured love into me. She took me to church every Sunday. They sent me to private schools, the best private schools in San Antonio. And Jesse got out of high school, and he got into this raging battle with this bitter enemy called alcoholism. And for many years, that enemy kicked his butt until one day, his third felony DWI, he's in the courtroom. He's about to be sentenced. The gavel comes down, sentencing Jesse to two years in prison. Jesse says he looked back over his shoulder and saw his mom dissolve in tears and collapse into his father's arms. She was an amazing mom. And you know what? I may be prejudiced because Jesse's one of my good friends, but I think he's an amazing guy. And I think I turned out pretty okay too. What I want you to leave with, what I really want you to leave with, moms, is not Susanna Wesley. That was totally to prove a point. You can't be that. But there's another dynamic in play that you have to remember. And it's one of the, if you never remember another verse, remember Ephesians 1.11. I think we have it here. This will, I hope, set you at ease as a mother. Because there's another dynamic in play besides your effort. And if we don't have it, it says, And God will work out all things in conformity with his purpose and will. There it is. Read that. You know what that means? It means my mom couldn't screw me up. All God is asking is for all of us to do our best. Do our best. And he's the one that's going to take responsible for all results. Isn't that an amazing? Isn't that something to celebrate? Isn't that something to be excited about? All God is asking you to do is to be who you, he created you to be. He doesn't want you to be Susanna Wesley. He wants you to be you. He created your inmost being. He knit you together in your mother's womb to be the mother that you are being. And I know you're giving all, everything you have to your child. And that's all God is asking you because he is taking responsibility for the rest, for the results. So as we close today, just remember, love God with all your heart. And modeling will happen. Do your best to be the you God created. And he will take care of the results. Let's pray. Father, uh, Father, I love you. And on this day where there's, there's mothers here and others with, with so many questions, so many feelings, so many thoughts, my words seem really inadequate, Father, but I do remember that there was a time when you took a couple of fish and a couple of loaves and, and fed 5,000 people. So, Father, would, would you please take these meager words and feed the mothers here and feed my friends here, allow, allow them to, to be nourished 
by your truths and your principles. Allow them to be nourished by the fact it's not ultimately up to them, that, that they only need to do their best and that you will work out all things in conformity to your purpose and will. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.